Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven. Now, if you've clicked on the episode, you probably already know who I'm talking to this week. It's Sylvester McCoy. One of my earliest memories of Doctor Who, maybe my earliest memory ever, was watching him run around with Sophie Aldred, who played Ace. And it's just so interesting how your first Doctor shapes your perception of the show in general. I just always assumed that the Doctor was extremely smart and kind of frightening and quite short. And talking to Sylvester from France, where he was staying uh, on a shoot, was just one of these life-changing things. I had such a great time talking with Sylvester. So without further ado, here is my chat with the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. Thank you so much for chatting with me. You're in Paris right now, is that correct? No, I'm in France. I'm in the south of France on top of a mountain. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) A little village on top of a mountain. Well, actually, my house is on top of a mountain, whereas there's a part of the village that's... It's like, if you imagine, it's like... um, uh, a horse's saddle is shaped like that. Anyway, so I'm up in this bit. So down there, they're not on top of the mountain. They're not on a mountain. Pathetic people. But up here, I'm on a mountain because it's over 1,000 feet. And anything over 1,000 feet in Britain is a mountain. Are you ruling over them with mercy? Is this like a feudal thing you've got going on? Or Yeah, I, do, I look down on them and they look up on me. Is it down the, Are you down the Avignon by any chance? Sur le pont d'Avignon? No, not that part of the world. I'm, from, I'm on the west side, just north of Toulouse. Yeah, I've got terrible France withdrawals. My wife and I got married there two years ago and spent most of our time down in the south of France. It was amazing. Did you go to Marseille? I love Marseille. Didn't get to. Only had five or six days down there, unfortunately. But, oh, you know, right. we, we, we've been trapped in Australia for the past year and a half under harsh lockdowns. So Tell me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, technically we can get out now. So we're planning our first trip and my wife has a British passport. So hopefully it uh, doesn't get any worse. There's hints that we might be closed down at Christmas. No. Oh, that would be terrible. Well, we, we have got one of the most incompetent governments that we've had in years. <laughs> you know. I not like to be political. Yeah. No. Well, actually, no, I was you gonna... have as well. You've got an amazingly incompetent government too. They suck. We should share. Just swap, and they would not notice the difference. It's like a terrible swingers party. No one wins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I had this bizarre thought because you've been recording. Have you been recording Big Finish under lockdown? Have you been doing home records? For Big Finish? I'm not. Uh, yes, uh, there, there, things like that have happened. Mm. I've, I've been tr- not allowed to talk. As always, as Colin exposed himself, um, <laughs> not himself, exposed no. the secret that we're all, we're all making them. I haven't been very many because being in France, it's been a bit difficult. Mm. I've had to go back to England every now and again to do the odd little one. But do you, do you I mean, I was going to ask, actually, as someone who is, because you give very good face. Sylvester, you're extremely animated and very physical. And I, I often wonder how, how you can put that into a performance 
and this might be a really silly question, but how do you put physicality into a performance that people can only hear? How do you convey that as a performer? Well, you should see me behind the, the, the microphone. <laughs> Just decorating. When I was young, I've been slightly dyslexic and also, I think, um, malapropic, that's the word, isn't it? I was having tea with an English vicar once, one of those classical things, tea with the vicar. And mm. I, he, he said to me, oh, you, you shit, you, you use your hands, you know, a lot. You, I said, yes, I know, I ejaculate all over the place. And then we <laughs> I was gesticulate, those are, I gesticulate. I mean, I did ejaculate all over the place at that age, you know, I was that age, but I mean, I meant just stick it. So you, you move around a lot when you're recording in the, in the, in the booth or? Kind of, yeah, I do. I mean, I do, but I mean, um, it is, it's a different way of acting. I quite enjoy it. It's, you're very much in your head all the mm. time, you know, and the, you know, you kind of, all the energy comes through your lips. I do enjoy doing it. Um, and sometimes, you know, it does get quite physical for all of us, really. You know, when there's battles going on and all, you know, you kind of, it's, mm. um, that physicality. Because that energizes what you're saying, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. I was talking with Colin a few weeks back and he said, I told him my kind of, you know, concerns about being a performer and not being able to kind of move around in the space. And he said, my dear boy, have you tried acting? And then he laughed and he basically said, look, you can sound puffed out. You can sound exhausted without having to go for a jog in the studio. Oh, really? I wish he'd told me that because I'm always puffed out because I go for a jog. <laughs> it was amazing sitting there and chatting with him and realizing that he's been performing as the doctor for a long time. And so have you, and not to kind of tie this back to a marriage metaphor, but how do you keep things fresh after this long? How do you keep things interesting for yourself? I don't know, really. I mean, it's, uh, again, I would quote Colin is acting, you know, you know, um, it's sometimes actors have been doing it for a long time. Well, when I was younger, they used to hang around the green room and hear these old actors moaning about the fact that, oh, their brother went into the city and he's now got a big house in the country and a swimming pool. And I was sitting there thinking, God, they don't like it anymore. I still like it. I mean, that's the thing. I'm still enthusiastic about it. Mm. I'm a show off. And it's that thing I get to show off, you see. What were you like in class as a kid? Were you intolerable? Oh. <laughs> Oh, yes, I was continuously um, sitting outside in the hall. I mean, I would get, you know, the English teacher would say to me, but uh, Kent Smith, because I had another name, uh, Kent Smith stopped staring at Elspeth Calder. I mean, she was lovely, but, um, yeah, I was always being put in. I got the strap. We had the strap in Scotland. I don't know if you... Yeah, you know, if you know any Scots, you know lots of Scots in Australia. Mm. We, we, they strapped us. It was legal, and they used to have leather straps with fingers so that it would sting more. But then what you did was you learned, um, see, I have to be physical. You learned how to do it by putting your hand here and then as the sap came down, you went, and so it hit your leg before the teacher could actually see, so it never really hurt. Did you ever get back at the teachers in any way? Did you ever kind of reciprocate? Yes, we once did. Sadly, it was one of the nicest teachers. He was a music teacher. Um, mm. We snuck in. And when he kept his strap in a long box, we cut the strap up into little pieces and put it back neatly. And so when he went to it in anger and opened it, he pilled, pooped, and there was nothing there except, I think he became kind of ill after that. <laughs> oh, we, we once turned our school teacher's uh, desk around. It was this 400 kilo mahogany thing so that when he went to his oh. drawer to get his papers, there was nothing there. He, was, he must have hurt his hand. Oof, he did. Yeah, yeah, cracked it very hard. <laughs> All right, yeah. so we've established that you were a bit mischievous at school. I mean, did you ever 
did you ever find out what those teachers found out, what they thought about you later on? When Did they ever find out that you'd kind of actually use those skills to go somewhere? I mean, did you ever catch the eye of someone who'd kind of talked you down years ago at a premiere and given them a nod? Well, not at uh, school, but there was, um, where I used to live in a place called Crouch End, which now has become very posh, so they call it Crouchon. Anyway, <laughs> Crouch End, um, I, I worked in the city of London. I used to get a bus to go to work, commute. Mm. And I passed this place and uh, all these lovely girls were going into it. And I thought, I'm going to join whatever that is. And it was um, an amateur dramatic society. And in the evening, the guy that ran it did classes. So I went to his classes. And then um, then he said to me after a year or so, he said, he said, listen, you can't act. I don't think you can act. I mean, what you should do is take up directing, but no, not acting. Then cut to years later, I'm in the West End and noises off with another actor, um, uh, Lee Lawson, who was at the same place at the time. Mm. And Lee had kept in touch with this, you know, teacher, this thing. And he came to see us in Noises Off and the Piccadilly Theatre in the West End. And afterwards he went out with Lee and he said to Lee, he said, I knew he would make it. I knew he would make it. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. I love that you, you know, talk about theatre so fondly. Do you have a preference? Uh, if you, I mean, do you have a, because you, you do stage, you do screen, you do audio. I mean, do you have a favourite at this point? Well, I mean, it used to be theatre because it was live. It was, you know, Mm. But the problem is at my age, I'm ancient, you know, and that it's very tiring. Also, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the last time I did a play was at the Edinburgh Festival. I used to love the Edinburgh Festival. I'd go to it. I'd been at the International Festival, the Fringe Festival. You know, I'd do anything, street, say anything just to be at the festival because it's one of the greatest places to be in the world mm. in August is the Edinburgh Festival. The arts, it's just celebrated. Everybody, no, everybody's there for one thing the joy of the arts from books to theatre and comedy, classic. Anyway, um, uh, I did a play, the last play, and it it went down really well and it was a big success. The only problem was that afterwards, I didn't quite have the energy to go out and enjoy the Edinburgh Festival. And I realised that the only reason why I ever did the Edinburgh Festival was to go out and have fun afterwards. And so I thought, no, I have to give it up now because I, 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 you know, it's getting in the way of me going out and having fun. So now I just go to the Edinburgh Festival and have fun and not do a play. <laughs> just, just go straight to the party. That completely makes sense. Yeah. What were the cast parties like, uh, if there were any, where? with Doctor Who? I mean, did, were, did you ever kick on afterwards? Were there oh, somewhere? yes. Oh, no, yes. I mean, John Nathan Turner, the producer, loved parties. I mean, he was a great one for parties, especially when we were filming on location. Because I remember one of the, my first story, um, we, were, we did the filming first on location, and then we had a big uh, party at the end. Mm. And Bonnie Langford, who was in it, she, she, she did a party piece. Now, she is a great West End diva. I mean, she's amazing musical goddess and sings beautifully and of course i i was asked to do my party piece and that was play the spoons which i play i happen to have a pair here just to indicate anyway so i played the spoons and then johnny the time said we've got to have that in doctor who now i thought he was drunk anyway the next day on the day afterwards we get the script for the first scene that we're doing in the studio and i find two things in an engine that's of the broken down rocket or wherever we're in, TARDIS, and it was, they look like spoons, a bit like spoons. And so I was with Kate O'Mara, and so I got to play my spoons on Kate O'Mara's front. 
And my goodness, did those spoons bounce. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just joyful. I mean, she was great. Kate O'Mara was wonderful. You know, just stood there and took it, bang, you know. She was playing the Rani, an evil um, person. But, I mean, she was terrific, Kate. I loved her. So who was the most fun offset? I mean, I don't want to pit anyone against each other. We know that, you know, Bonnie was a you know great performer. But, I mean, I interviewed Sophie a while back, yeah. and she just sang your praises. I mean, the relationship between you two was just, and is, incredible. I mean, what was she like off camera? Was she, was she much like Ace at the time? Oh, no, she was miserable. She used to kick me, beat me up, you know. <laughs> no, she didn't. I mean... Uh, we got on immediately. She laughed at all my jokes. She continues, and she still does. After 40 odd years, she's still laughing at them. Yeah. She must be need the head looking up. But anyway, we, she, we just got on really well. We were politically aligned the same way. Uh, we had the same sense of humor. Mm. And, um, you know, we had great fun. And, you know, I suppose, I mean, John Nathan Turner was a, a, a great fun too at a party. He had a great time. You know, he wanted to be a performer. He was only a producer because, you know, he never quite got the performer bug out of him. So he basically followed the advice of his drama teacher, whereas you ignored it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned politics. I, I'm not going to get political, by the way, but I mean, what a time. Well, I, know. I am a very political person. No, that's good. I mean, wh- and what a time to be a political person. But also, at the time you were doing Doctor Who, that was a that was a rough time in England. I mean, there was a lot going on. How did you did yeah, you want Thatcher, it? Thatcher. And they had the nerve to cast Gillian Anderson as Thatcher, and suddenly I'm confused. I have feelings. I have new. <laughs> yes, that's very yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I've, met, I've, I've hung out with Gillian Anderson at a couple of conventions in the states. Yeah. The only thing was, she seemed very tired. She was always sitting at the table, going falling asleep. How do you find conventions? I mean, it's not a natural environment to sit there with a queue of people coming up and telling you how much they love your work. I mean, is that? No, it's wonderful. I mean, it's great. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it really is. It's great. And also, I mean, there's more to it than that, really. I mean, the thing is that just being there and chatting to some people, to see sometimes a young person skip away with joy mm. and you think, wow. I just said hello and smiled and was pleasant to that person. And, the, you know, they've, they've really enjoyed it. It's, um, and they get a lot from it. Um, especially science fiction fans, because they, in a way, at school were a bit kind of geeky. And that was before the, 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 you know, the, the century of the geeks that we now live in. And they've taken mm-hmm. it over, thank goodness, in many ways. Those before who were lonely and... Um, Especially in America, I used to like going there because you get, um, you'd see young kids who'd come from one end of America to the other, and then they'd get together with people that have got the same interest. And also, I remember Australia, and uh, twice I've, I mean, I've been a few times, but in Melbourne, there's a big, um, a big place in Melbourne with a big long corridor and a car, a carpet, and you walk down it, and there's all these young young teenagers sitting around dressed up in all their costumes and, and they're in circles and they're animated and they're talking and, mm. and you know, it's just joy to be, I'm part of this. You know, this is a privilege to see what this, you know, is bringing to these um, young people. So I do love all that. But it's also partly because, you know, well, you played the seventh Doctor. What do you think it is that people... <laughs> love about because I, my first memory of Doctor Who is your doctor I mean I turned on ABC TV and you were hoofing it around and Ace is smashing Daleks with a baseball bat and I went that I want I want that in my life and I think <laughs> but but what is it that you think speaks to people 
that your doctor possesses that the others don't? I don't know. I, I, that comparison's a bit difficult, really. All I, all I can say is that when I um, came to it, I came, I think, luckily now, ignorant, because I hadn't seen it for years. I saw it right. way back in the 60s, and then I became an actor. And then, you know, in Britain, they never repeated it. On a Saturday, I was doing two shows, all that kind of stuff. So when I came to it, I had a very, very distant memory of it. And so well, when I did my first episode, I came with my bag of comedy tricks, but then realized what I'd been given. I'd been given this an amazing part where you could actually do anything with it. So then also I thought I would like to try and bring back the mystery. Mm. And luckily the script editor, Andrew Cartmelk, he was Canadian. He didn't know much about Doctor Who either. So we were two ignorant people given, you know, the, the key to the TARDIS. And so we went in and in our ignorance, we changed it and took it somewhere else, which was maybe much darker, more mysterious, but still mm. keeping the comedy because that was part of the joy of juggling these, you know, kind of balls, keep the comedy, keep that. But at the same time, get, you know, mystery, the darkness, uh, make people question things and, you know, and I, I think maybe that's part of its, you know, kind of, of my doctor's um, attraction. I think. But I mean, your doctor, your doctor is a planner. You know, he, he plans things 20 steps ahead yeah. and he's quite, he's a bit of a chess player, a master strategist. Yeah. Do you have that ability in real life? Are you, a, oh, do you God. plan? No, no. It's all acting, mate. It's all acting. Right. That bit. <laughs> Chaos, <Okay>. mate. <laughs> he's very smart and he's very ruthless. And I, I'm not, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't see that glint in your eye. I don't see it. <laughs> you, know, there's a, you know, the ability to wipe a planet out just to achieve, you know, it's a really interesting way of thinking. And it's just, it does kind of tie back to that thing of, you know, your doctor occasionally strays into very big, Doctor Who in general strays into very big, you know, deals with yeah. like big issues like race and politics and things like that. Well, exactly. Did you get any pushback on that? Yes. Well, I mean, we, I, because when I first saw Doctor Who way back in the 60s, anti BBC was very straight laced. Mm. Uh, the swinging 60s were just coming. There was a revolution, uh, you know, kind of uh, happening. But the BBC hadn't really caught up yet, except for Doctor Who. And we watched Doctor Who, I was in my 20s, and we saw, you know, messages in it. And it was kind of saying things that we were, you know, um, reading about, discovering and, and all the, you know, kind of in Oz magazine and all those other things. Uh, and um, it was there in Doctor Who. It was coming, seeping through. And in many ways, we were like those people who used to play the Beatles records backwards and get messages. You know, there was all that going on. There might have been mm. a bit of this going on as well, but, you know, that was back then. So um, I remember that. And so when I started back again, I thought, that's what I want to bring back, that mystery, that darkness, that, you know, the kind of... Um, and also the politics of it. I mean, the one about... Um, Oh, God, what is it called? Uh, oh, no, Happiness Patrol. Yeah, that was based on Thatcher. The character in that was based on Thatcher. Um, the, the Daleks one was race. It was about race. It was about because mm. there were two factions of Daleks. And that, that was all happening in on the streets in the 80s in uh, in London. There were race mm. riots. You know, so, and also there was one about housing and, and stuff like that. And we, we were doing that. And that was on purpose. But the, And we were getting it again like in the 60s. We were getting it under... The, the executive producers didn't seem to notice, you know, partly because they no longer were in love with the programme, so they never watched it hard. But we were getting stuff like that through. So there was, um, yeah, we were quite pr proud of that, really. I think that DNA has kind of continued through the show. I mean... Well, well yes, because, um, uh, again, funny enough, I was, it was in Australia. I was in a Japanese restaurant and mm. um, 
Melbourne, I think it was. Yeah, it was. And uh, it was the 50th anniversary there. And what's his name? The producer at the time. Muffet. Um, Stephen Muffet. Muffet. Yeah, Stephen. Stephen. Yeah. Lovely Stephen. And we, uh, we were having a meal together and he came in as a producer and he sat down. He was a producer. Producer, producer. And then after, you know, a, a few jars and a bit of food, he suddenly became a fanboy. And he opened up. It was quite extraordinary, the change. And he he said to me, and I hadn't really, I didn't think about it in that way, but he suddenly said that my doctor had come along and changed the direction and the way. Because he said before that, it was more comedic. And that wasn't a negative thing. Hmm. It was more cartoon-like, not comedic, more cartoon-like. And he said somehow we'd made it rounder and darker. Hmm. And so that inspired the, you know, I'm happy to say that they tell me that what we did then, they kind of picked up that, um, you know, that stick and ran with it. Oh, 100%. Watching the new show, is that a, I mean, do you do you follow the show? Do you try and keep up to date on, on Doctor Who? Uh, yes, intermittently, because being mm. away in France and, you know, I'm not, I mean, you can get it, but it's kind of difficult, really. Because well, some yeah. of the stuff that you and Andrew seeded, it's almost like a ball that they're trying to run with in this current season. It's really interesting. I mean, all right, yeah. Whether they stick the landing or not, but the idea, because I remember I read Lung Barrow when I was at university. I just, I was just blown away by the fact that there was a show hiding inside the show that you'd kind of hidden there and seeded this, this amazing yeah. thing. And I really do think they might try and fold something like it into the show. I hope so. I mean, it's, that's what keeps it alive. That's what keeps it fresh for the new generations. The Big Finish side of things has been a really great way to kind of reinvigorate. Do you have a particular story or a particular arc that has really stuck with you, that really leapt off the page from the Big Finish era? Well, I mean, an arc, I think, I mean, what I I actually, I mean, I know it's rather selfish on me really in a way, mm. but I, I wouldn't want to do it all the time. I rather enjoyed the stories well, in a sense that took its, inspiration from the so-called TV film, you know, the one where I handed over to Paul McGann, mm. um, where the doctor was solitary and pondered and thoughtful. And I like those stories a lot because you really kind of get right in, in here and, you know, it's just that sort you know, I quite like those. I think I was also quite touched by... It was nice to have a new companion jump in. I kind of fell in love with Hex a little bit as well. It was really nice to have. Yeah, Hex was great, yeah. He yeah. was terrific. Lovely, lovely actor. I liked him because I'm slightly dyslexic and um, he, he would start to read and fumble over his first reading, as I sometimes do. And then yeah. the second reading was like, wow, what an amazing performance. Okay, so I, I was fortunate enough to be in a kid's show a couple of years back. And when I stepped up to the plate to play the character, they said, all right, how do you want him to dress? How do you want him to talk? And they really let me kind of, you know, dictate the DNA of the character. When you stepped yeah. in to play the Doctor, did they consult you on anything? Did they let you collaborate? Or was it just here is exactly how we want you to do it? No, they just said, here's the key to the TARDIS. Off you go. That was it, really. I mean, they, just, they sent me some videotapes, which I never got around to watching, of the earlier Doctors. And, and I, I mean, I saw a couple of them. And I, was, I remember being shocked by the violence that some Doctors, you know, practice and i remember thinking "Ooh, my i don't think the doctor he, he's he's too intelligent to be violent and so that became another one of my um, insistence that my doctor didn't do anything violent because or in the dalek one they kept giving me bazookas 
you know, to blow things up. And I said, no, my doctor won't. But our ace would use the bazooka. I mean, she had more fun. I would quite have loved to have let a bazooka off. I mean, that'd be great. But I mean, I don't, my doctor couldn't. And then there's one story, Battlefield. In it, he actually nearly crumbles under, you know, the violence. You know, he nearly gives way to violence. And then he, mm. he runs into the middle of the field and said, if we behave like animals, we'll die like animals. It was a great kind of moment, I thought that someone had written uh, some very lovely, great writing. Yeah, so that was, you know, all going through it, really. It was really scary in a way when you think back. They just take it on with it. Because by then, I think John N.T., he really wanted to run EastEnders. Everyone I talk to, Sylvester, seems to have a different spin on whether the Doctor is, on on a spectrum, uh, either the most competent person in the room or a complete buffoon who just gets lucky for trillions of years. I mean, where do you sit? On that on that sliding scale oh no he's the most intelligent person in the room i've never thought of him as a buffoon that did that i'm surprised you say that i mean then again as i say i haven't seen that much of the back uh thing just way back when patrick trout but he was a kind of a buffoon but he was quite a sharp one i think he was very john pertree was tom baker but, uh yeah no i'm surprised you said that no i just thought he was always the most intelligent one he could play the buffoon he could hide behind the buffoon yeah, I should point out parenthetically. I think he's the most capable person in the room. I just heard yeah. people who seem to think that it's it's he's just cosmically lucky. Whereas I I have friends who do improv, and in improv, I think the idea is to sharpen your skills as much as you can, so that when yeah. the unexpected happens, you have the skills ready to react in a way that is. Yeah. Yes. Do you find it odd swinging between characters? I mean. As as now you wouldn't because like you said you're an actor you can you can just bounce between. Roles. Well, I mean, yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, it's great to do really dark stuff and then really funny stuff and really light stuff and heavy stuff and sad stuff. I mean, that's part. Because I remember years ago, Peter O'Toole was being interviewed. I think this is where I became an actor on television, and uh, he said that he had the um, a very well known head or, or rector of the Bristol. Old Vic Theatre School, that's what it was called in Bristol. He told Peter O'Toole, he said, always surprise them, come up from somewhere else. So that was why I remember that. It stuck with me. And so that's been kind of one of my mantras as well, really. And weirdly, it applies to your doctor as well. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose it does, yes. Sylvester, thank you so much. And thanks for talking so late. I my know pleasure. it's very late over there, so I really appreciate it. Nine o'clock. I'm an actor. So there you have it, Sylvester McCoy talking to me from the south of France. I have a very strange career bingo card, and I think that might be the last box that I need to check. Oh, wait, no. Next week, I am talking with none other than India Fisher. That's right. I'll be talking with Charlotte freaking Pollard from The Eighth Doctor's Adventures on Big Finish. So if you're a fan of Big Finish, of The Eighth Doctor, or just of Doctor Who in general, be sure to tune in next week. Anyway, in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Keep enjoying Doctor Who Flux, because it's really kind of picking up steam. And I'll see you next week for more The Doctor Is In. Bye, everyone.